This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I'm pleased to welcome a newcomer to our podcast, Chris Kinn. Chris is a staff lieutenant with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Chris, welcome to the Amphicast. Thank you. Pleasure being here. I've uh, invited Chris to come chat with me today. Uh, we, we met a number of months ago when I had the privilege to be out in Ohio. Uh, and we started talking about Green Labs. And you'll all, by the time this episode's over, you all know what that phrase means. Uh, there's a lot of conversation all around North America, all around the world, about the legalization of marijuana. And it's happening in a lot of places. And obviously, in our community, there's a lot of conversation about what that means for impaired driving. Because, as we all know, just because it might be legal in your area doesn't mean it's legal to drive while impaired. We've covered that on previous uh, previous episodes. But one of the questions that has come up in other episodes and other parts of the Amphic community is, well, when are we going to know what is the acceptable level of impairment? Not that there's really any acceptable level of impairment, so I, you know... I understand the words I'm using, but a lot of people want to be able to compare it to alcohol. Uh, it's a challenge because of the different chemical reactions, but they want to say, well, if it's 0.08 for alcohol, what's the equivalent with marijuana? Um, it's something you have been working in and around for, for a while. Why don't we start there? How did you know, you've had an interesting career path, and I'm not looking to do a, a profile on you today, <laughs> but how did, you know, in in your career of coming through the Highway Patrol, um, how did you first get involved with these issues related to marijuana impairment? Sure. So, great question. Um, you know, like like all troopers, uh, everybody from the, the rank of trooper to colonel all starts within the Highway Patrol. We don't hire from outside. So we've all came through the academy. And, and our training academy really focuses on standardized field sobriety testing um, and, and OVI enforcement because it is such a problem in Ohio. When we look at, at what kind of problems we have in our traffic crash picture, mm-hmm. uh, fatalities are generally about... 52 to 55 percent involving an impaired driver, whether that's alcohol and or drugs of abuse. Now, um, since 2019, we know that drug impaired drivers have outpaced alcohol impaired drivers in our fatal crash picture, which is a huge problem for us. And and the prevalence of, of drugs is is more common now probably than, than it ever has been, especially um, or at least maybe we're better at identifying it and, and seeing that in our toxicology testing of the drivers that we arrest. Uh, and we've had a lot of focus on impaired driving. And I guess I, I worked midnights for, for five years, so I dealt uh, dealt with dealing impaired dri- dealing with impaired drivers and and that being kind of that core mission was was uh, arresting impaired drivers. Um, I was a police officer for about two years before I became a state trooper. Okay. And, and in that role, when I thought of the highway patrol, I thought of arresting impaired drivers and handling crashes. Um, and, and I guess my career has kind of uh, gone that direction because I've been in crash reconstruction since 2007. Yeah. And, and 
the, the position I'm currently in, in the Office of Field Operations, uh, we focus a lot on impaired driving initiatives yeah. because it is a problem on our roadways. Now, when you talk about those statistics where it's shifted from away from the alcohol impairment, well, not away, but it's more now on the drug impairment side, you're using that as a broad category of drug impairment, not just marijuana. Correct. It's all drug all drug impairment outpaces alcohol impairment yeah. in our fatal crash picture, but cannabis is the most prevalent drug next within that category. Within that category, uh, it outpaces the next the next highest level almost three to one. So almost like everything else combined still doesn't compare to, to, to cannabis in terms of driving the drug impairment. Exactly. You know, I think a lot of that is as we've talked with, with other folks before, it's that, you know, lack of appreciation as to what that drug does to your driving skills, whereas, you know, let's be honest, if there are other drugs that are more traditional hardcore drugs, I think there's more of a black and white where you go, yeah, I know if I'm doing this, I'm going to be out versus, ah, I'll smoke up a little bit and I'll be good to go. It, it, there is a common misconception. And, you know, I talk to people that are that are regular cannabis users and... Yeah. and it's always surprising to me that they say they drive better when they're under the when they're yeah. under the influence of cannabis, and I I think that's a that's a misconception because when we really look at what those divided attention skills are and and some of those problems that's going to cause someone operating a motor vehicle, you know, driving a three thousand four thousand pound vehicle down the road at mm-hmm. at sixty five seventy miles an hour, um, that's that's just false right. we don't drive people don't drive better under the influence of right. something um, and that's that's i guess so that's a, a good segue this is the research that now is happening to figure out you know how and when does that happen and what is that degradation of skills that occurs which may not follow the same path of degradation of skills under alcohol it might be a different type of impairment exactly exactly so we've taken the approach of um, and I say we being, you know, the Ohio State Highway Patrol in partnership with our other law enforcement agencies, because this isn't a singular thing just sure. on just on the Highway Patrol. This is in partnership with the sheriff's offices, with the police departments, with all law enforcement, because it affects all of our roadways, mm-hmm. not just on the interstates or, or the rural highways where we're working, but also in the cities and the counties everywhere we're seeing the drug impaired driving. It isn't a just a geographical issue. It's it's happening everywhere in the state. So we need to educate all law enforcement on it. And there's there's multiple different avenues that we try to educate them through. There is it when at least in Ohio, when you're in their training academy, whether it's the police officer training academy or the highway patrol training academy, you get standardized field sobriety testing training. That teaches you how to how to detect the alcohol impaired driver, how to perform those standardized field sobriety tests. After that, the next level, which we train all of our troopers at, is a ride. And and this a ride is kind of it's it's a two two day class uh, put on by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration approved curriculum. Uh, and in this advanced roadside impaired driving enforcement. So in this A-Ride training, it's a two-day class, and it builds on those skills that the SFST, the Standardized Field Sobriety Testing, and it's more focused on drug driving. So it's teaching those extra tests that will detect drug-impaired drivers that are unique to it, unique to drug-impaired driving skills that, that get degraded when, when you're under the influence right. of drugs. Um, and that's to, to detect behavior. Right. Correct. You know, it's not, they're not administering a test of roadside. They've been trained to observe behavior that could indicate the impairment. Exactly. But there are there are some field sobriety testing that you'll be taught as a part of that A-Ride training. For that, alcohol? For, for drugs. Okay. Let's, so, so A-Ride will focus on drug driving. 
And so it, it builds on those standardized field sobriety tests and teaches some additional additional field sobriety testing that you can do roadside to detect when some of the influence Such of drugs of abuse. Are, you can illustrate an example. Uh, like a finger-to-nose test. Okay. You know, the lack of convergence test, so it's, that's an eye test that's built on the, yeah. you know, after you do horizontal gaze nystagmus. Um, and then just teaching what, how, how the drugs of abuse and those categories of drugs, because we, we put drugs in categories, how those affect people and how that's going to affect their behavior. And then, and then how that shows in their driving habits and, and in those interactions that you have with people. So have we discovered that there, there is a difference in terms of that shift of driving behavior of alcohol impairment versus cannabis impairment? We definitely see different clues and indicators yeah. depending on what kind of drugs of abuse you're Are you, you allowed to share them or is this like covert, like only the cops can know? Oh, no, no, no. Everyone knows, they know how to hide it. <laughs> no, no, this is, yeah. this is information because, because drugs are, uh, are, are, some of them are pharmaceutical drugs that people take, but yeah. they take higher than a pharmaceutical level. So right. then it starts causing impairment. Yeah. Um, and but they fall into those categories of, of central nervous system depressants, mm -hmm. stimulants. Right. Alcohol is a depressant. So, so that falls into those categories as well. So alcohol fits into this as well, um, just, just in a little different level. Right. Um, and alcohol is more prevalent, and we've, it's been around so long that the way it affects the human body is a, a little bit more consistent than drugs. Um, drugs vary depending on the person and then also the frequency of use. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other factors. But generally, we know that, that CNS stimulants all depress or all affect people this way mm -hmm. and we know those indicators you know constricted pupils okay. um you'll see increased heart rate with things like that so each one of them has kind of its tails uh that that'll that'll tell you what drugs they're using um but we see a lot of poly drug use as well mm -hmm. so then they start seeing like crossing of of indicators and and different indicators uh based on what category of drugs right. they're using and does any of that manifest itself in terms of how they're actually operating the vehicle so for example i think from a, a layman's perspective you'd say you know if someone is having trouble staying in the lane you know it's often an indicator of well they're either distracted by their phone or maybe they're impaired with alcohol as opposed to say a stereotype of someone who is you know impaired by cannabis is driving way too slow then you'd expect somebody to be driving you know at, on a certain road is there legitimacy to those stereotypes or is it just a you know media hype stereotype there's definitely some legitimacy that we yeah. see in some of those behaviors depending on the person you know right. you see um, like you said the cannabis impaired drivers uh, tend to be a little bit more cautious they they're 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 concerned that they're going to get if they right. if they know they're under the influence they're being very cautious with it. Yeah. So it, it varies though based off of the person and then also based off the drug type that they're yeah. using because it's so hard to 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 say generalizations with sure. it because there's such a vast amount of drugs that people use and and it's really tough on law enforcement to stay up to date on those drugs that the people are using right, because yeah, they're constantly changing, they're constantly evolving and and you know for our toxicology testing and then also our field sobriety testing Staying on top of those drugs is really challenging for law enforcement agencies. So when you talk about understanding how different people react to the drugs, particularly with cannabis, and understanding what toxicology tests might be needed, that's where I think some of the, the lab work 
come, comes into play. So I threw out the phrase Green Labs. Right. Tell everybody what, what that's about. So we call it Advanced Cannabis Impairment Training in Ohio, ACIT, um, is kind of how we branded it. And what we do at this training is it's it's cannabis focused because we know that cannabis is our, our biggest drug of abuse that's being used in our fatal crash picture. We knew that we had to do a better job of, of educating officers on it because our arrests do not match our crash picture. And when those two don't line up, then we know there's some sort of problem there. And and what is that problem? Well, a lot of it is we don't know, we as law enforcement don't know what all those indicators are and how marijuana affects the human body. Right. So that's what we focused on in the advanced cannabis impairment training. Um, and I got to give a shout out to Jamie Derbyshire. She's with the Montgomery County Police Department in Maryland. Uh, she's been doing these for years and she, she invited us from the highway patrol to, to come out there and, mm-hmm. and set in on one of their green labs and see how they work. And, and then we took that and took the information from her and, and kind of made it our own in Ohio. Um, the only way you can legally ingest cannabis in the state of Ohio is through a medicinal marijuana program. Yeah. So we partner with medicinal marijuana patients um, to come into our training academy and they ingest cannabis there and then we perform field sobriety testing on them. Now we've been doing these for decades with alcohol. We've done what we call wet labs right. as, as part of our standardized field sobriety testing. You know, when I was in the training academy, I know we participated in a, in a wet lab where they, they brought in people, they drank alcoholic beverages, and then we performed field sobriety testing on them uh, to determine what those indicators are. It's so much better when you see it firsthand right. versus watching a video of what the eyes look like or watching a video of what the walk and turn on one leg stand look like. It, it's totally different when you're they're doing the test yourself right. and and using experts like our drug recognition experts to to kind of oversee things and make sure that people are doing the, the test right and then also documenting the results that we're seeing so that way we can start to build that 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 basis of knowledge yeah. so we know what indicators we see we we don't have to necessarily go read all the published data we can say firsthand this is what we're seeing based on the results of our green labs that we're doing uh, what the what those indicators are of impairment. And you're watching it happen real time. So whether it's a, a wet lab where you're watching them have the drink and then waiting the 30 minutes and having them take a test and have another drink, take the test again and see how that behavior changes. Um, something similar with the Green Lab where they're ingesting cannabis. I am curious, you know, whether it is, does it matter how they ingest it? You know, you know an edible versus, you know, smoking it or, you know, s- some other way. Uh, we have the we have the patients ingested in, in multiple different ways, right. just because that's very valuable for the students. See the variation. It, it definitely is because there's several legal methods of ingestion in Ohio. Um, you're not as long as it's medicinal. It, it is, um, but you're not allowed to combust it in the state of Ohio, so it can't be burnt or smoked. Really? It, correct. Okay. They, they don't allow that in the, under our medicinal marijuana program. Okay. Now, they do use like incendiary devices that would heat up the cannabis flower hot enough where they can inhale the vapors. Vaping. You're talking about vaping. Correct. But, yeah. they, but they also do sell flour, the, the bud material, that they'll put in an incendiary device, and it'll heat it up to the point where, where those chemicals are released, and then you can inhale those chemicals. Sounds like a fancy description of a bomb. It, it kind of is, but there's no combustion in the okay. state of Ohio that's legal. So <laughs> it's, it definitely is. Uh, but, but we make sure that, that people that are coming to the Ohio State Highway Patrol Academy 
and, yeah. and using cannabis or using it legally. Okay. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that we are in full compliance of everything. So we actually check their, their devices with a medicinal marijuana program to make sure that yes. they are approved devices that they're used, that they are registered patients that bring their 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 medicine in and they ingest it there. Have you had the opportunity to go to a green lab, even I, uh, in Montgomery County, um, which by the way, I'm a Montgomery County, Maryland resident, so I appreciate the, the shout out. Um, the, I don't know if that was before or after recreational became legal in Maryland. Were you able to observe where maybe there was less restrictions of how that could occur? The one we went to, they still were in the medical okay. program, but yeah. their medical program was a little bit more liberal than Ohio's. They were yeah. allowed to combust it out there, and they also had patients using it in several different different ingestion methods yeah. um, and you would see the varied results based upon that yeah. the you know the the people that we saw with edibles were a little bit a little bit more impaired uh, than than maybe somebody oh, that was that was vaping um, just depends on but that could have been based the on their frequency of yeah. use as well because if, if somebody uses it exactly and that that plays a big factor with with all drugs yeah. um, we even notice that with alcohol too where if somebody drinks all the time sure. there the clues are a little more subtle with them than they are with somebody that that doesn't drink very much yeah. but maybe at that same BAC level now one of the other things I think that I've heard a lot of talk about is the the time release of cannabis and how different that is from alcohol in terms of when that impairment occurs. Is that something you've observed in these green labs? Definitely. So one thing that we do is we we wait a half hour after ingestion before we take them to the lab portion to make sure that that, that those are starting to take effect. Right. Um, and, and we're interacting with the people the entire time. So it, it's very similar to the wet labs where you can see that level of impairment start to set in. Yeah. And, and you notice some behavioral changes. Um, right. Generally, with the, with the marijuana patients, uh, they're a little bit more relaxed. They're, they're usually a little bit uptight when they first walk into our training yeah. academy, but uh, they, they start to relax a little bit more and start to open up. And they've been, they've been great partners as far as sharing um, you know, what they use, why they use it, and what those experiences are. Do you set up a craft services table for them with uh, bags of chips and brownies? <laughs> we, we, we don't, but, but we do make sure they get fed between labs. Yeah, yeah. Now, on, on a serious note, though, on the other side of the time release, right, the conversation around maybe the cannabis impairment stays in your system longer than what we know about alcohol churning and getting out of the system. We haven't seen that in our green labs just because we're, we're doing it for kind of a concentrated period of time. Okay. So they'll, they will ingest, we wait a half hour, we'll do about an hour worth of lab where they're doing field sobriety testing. Mm -hmm. uh, they come back, they ingest a second time, and then they do another lab, and then they're finished for okay. the day. So we don't, we're, because we're doing that second ingestion, we don't see that, that duration because, the, again, they're ingesting and then they're going in and doing the lab, so we'll sure. see what those results are. But one thing that's important to point out is we don't have them use any more than what they normally use. Like, like they're, You're not these are. To push them over there. Exactly. Yeah. We 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 want them to use what they normally use, um, and not so not not take any more, and then be able to objectively evaluate what those behaviors those behaviors are after using yeah. cannabis. Now I know you're taking them and you're testing them with the field sobriety test and those exercises that you would ask them to roadside. Is there ever a version of it where you take them and you put them in a driving simulator and see? I mean, obviously you're not going to put them behind a live car, 
Right. But a driving simulator could be an interesting thing to see how they react with the driving skills. Has any that ever been done in these labs? We haven't done that, but I'm pretty sure Montgomery County is doing that with some of theirs. That they were they were going to be purchasing a driving simulator and then be evaluating that with some partnerships. Right. So the difference of there's the field sobriety test of how they can do versus what does it actually do to the driving skills, which may or may not be masked when you're getting them out of the car to, you know, finger to the nose and stuff. Exactly. And there, there is a difference there. Um, the, only, the only concern with some of that is being able to objectively evaluate their behavior in a driving simulator. Mm -hmm. um, the, the driving simulator is a, is a different experience than, than operating a motor vehicle. Course, yeah. So So kind of having that baseline is really important yeah. with, with everybody. Um, but I think that would be... That would be a great way of being able to quantify, you know, exactly what kind of driving behaviors you'll see with it, uh, with with people under the influence. Uh, and it might be eye-opening to them, right? I'm sure there's some of these folks that come in there, and they may not even appreciate how much what they're doing is impairing their skills, and they see that it's happening at an earlier stage than maybe they thought it was happening at. You know, I've read studies that show it actually, they think they're they're sober or they're better to drive earlier than what they actually are, according to testing information. So they recognize that they're impaired, but then they think they've recovered sooner than they actually have. Exactly. And the, the one study that we talk about is actually in our, in our ACIT training, where an hour and a half after ingestion is when we would categorize people, at least according to this study, as the most dangerous because mm -hmm. they think they're the least impaired at that time and they're actually more impaired. Because yeah. like a half hour into it, they were impaired, they knew they were impaired, but like at an hour, hour and a half afterwards, like, they I'm were still go, impaired, but, but they didn't think yeah, they were, which, which makes it the most dangerous because yeah. when you don't think you're impaired or you don't think they're a problem, that's, that's probably when that biggest problem right. exists. So that's when they're going to go out like, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I've come down off my high, so I'm going to exactly. go drive, but they haven't come down the way they think they have. Exactly. You know, and, and as we see the, the, the adult use marijuana take hold across the United States, and, and many states have... have transition to that. I think it's really important to note that that as a law enforcement agency, we're not pro-cannabis or anti-cannabis. We are pro-things that are legal and we are anti-things that are illegal. Right. And people driving under the influence of anything is bad for everybody, especially as many traffic fatalities as we see on, a, on, on our highways in Ohio okay. and on roadways Everywhere. nationwide. Absolutely. I don't think the, you know, your, everything you've said about Ohio is certainly a, a case study, but I, I could be sitting across from virtually any jurisdiction struggling with the similar challenges, you know, tackling the, these issues. So where do you think with this research, where do you think that leads us in terms of beyond the exercises of a roadside sobriety field test? Is there a future where there is something similar to blow into a breathalyzer and we're going to know what your score is? They already make uh roadside oral fluid devices where within five to ten minutes of pulling someone over and offering them this test um, you know it's it's presumptive so it's not admissible in court but but neither is a portable breath test and and that can tell what what drugs of abuse may be in someone's system uh, at the end of the day though it's hard to say with numbers even with alcohol because we have to when we when we as law enforcement decide that person is too impaired to drive is when we make a custodial arrest and we say at that time we're saying to ourselves 
I have enough probable cause to determine they should not be operating a vehicle because they're under the influence. Any testing afterwards is merely confirmation of those of that probable cause, and 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 that's validating what our thoughts were. And very and will would lead to what is the level of consequence, right? So even though you may get them off the road, if they are at point oh four and can't drive, it's going to be a different consequence if they are point oh nine. It definitely is, um, but but it's important to note though that the the toxicology testing confirms. And it's done post-arrest because I've already established enough probable cause to make that arrest. Right. So, so I know that based on my knowledge, training, and experience, they are too impaired to drive. And now I have enough probable cause to ask for a chemical test at that point. Because not everybody complies with those chemical tests. So I yeah. have to have enough uh, to make that decision and, and substantiate that arrest in a court of law and prove beyond any and all reasonable doubt that they were too impaired to drive even before that chemical test, because they don't all submit to the chemical test. So what do you think the next phase of this journey is for law enforcement, for the broader highway safety community tackling this this challenge? Clearly, it's we're on the still on the earlier phase of really understanding cannabis impaired driving. At the same time, more legalization is happening every day, everywhere. Uh, So where, you know, you've been living it knee deep. Where, what, what's next in this conversation? I see, at least in Ohio, we're going to get better at testing. And we're going to get better at finding out what those drugs of abuse are being, that are being used. Because we've identified cannabis as, as an issue, but there's a lot of other drugs that could be used that we need to catch up with mm-hmm. and, and determine what other drugs of abuse are being used on, by people operating vehicles on our roadways. Because yeah. my fear is that we're, we are even though it's a big problem, we're still underrepresenting that problem because we need to get better at our toxicology testing. And then we use that data to determine what should our next focus be yeah. and, and how do we use that data to d- dictate our operations. Yeah. Because using data to dictate operations is something that we use a lot and we try to be very data driven in our approaches. And we have a multifaceted approach that we're attacking the, the impaired driving with. Um, it's not just more training, but we also have advancements in the Ohio State Highway Patrol Crime Lab. That's the only state of Ohio toxicology lab. Uh, it used to run 10 to 12,000 chemical tests a year. So, so there's some improvements that are going to be happening there. Uh, we're also starting with an oral fluid program, uh, hopefully later this year, that will also help us with detecting impaired driving. And then finally, we're implementing a referral program for the Ohio State Highway Patrol, where we're le- working with local behavioral health clinicians to to at least offer some services to everybody that we arrest for a for a OVI an impaired driving offense or a drug offense in 2023 and we know that we have such a problem that we think that the combination of all these things put together can hopefully start to reduce that Um, another thing that's really concerning to me is our recidivism rate in Ohio we're at about 30 percent in in at least in the highway patrols OVI arrests are repeat offenders, mm-hmm. and that that's scary to me. That 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 people aren't getting maybe the help they need. Yeah. Um, maybe they don't know they need that help yet. So we're hoping that that with that referral project and and better detection, that we can offer services and hopefully start to reduce those traffic fatalities and and get people the help that they need. Right. Well, Chris, thanks for spending time today with us to chat about. It. It's a fascinating area. Um, Really appreciate you sharing the knowledge with me and all our listeners that are out there today. 
I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you all for being here this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.